Hi and welcome to Life of Tribe podcast. I'm your host Andrew Owen and in this episode we're going to explore the common injuries that tend to ha- happen to those new to the sport. Um, so we're talking about individuals who have probably come from a different sport before taking up triathlon, whether that be a team sport or, or an individual um, sport. I'm joined by Mike James, who is a physio with over 20 years experience. He's also known as the endurance physio. You can look him up on social media. He's a cracking guy. He knows his stuff. So, so check out his social media feeds. His website is www.sportsinjuryfix.com. Uh, Mike's knowledgeable. He's based in, in South Wales. So if you are in that neck of the woods and you have any issues, um, don't be afraid to give him a shout. Let's just jump straight into the episode. I'll do a little bit of an um, introduction to Mike in, in more detail. But if you like what we do, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the episode. So I'm joined today by Mike James, also known as um, the Endurance Physio. Some of you will know Mike from his social media work and um, and his podcast. And if you don't already know Mike, check him out. It's, uh, his podcasts are really good and really informative. Mike's been a physio um, for over 20 years. Um, predominantly these days works with triathletes, runners, cyclists and swimmers. But Mike himself is um, quite a... Um, an established athlete in the sense of he's done over 100 marathons and ultra marathons. He's done 14 Ironman and two double Ironman events as well. And this year was going to do um, MDS. First question from me, Mike, is how are you? I am good, Andrew. Thanks very much for having me on. No worries. Second question, because I always like to ask this. For, out of 14 Ironman, what, what was your favourite event? Um, I would have to say two. Two in the fact of my first one which was the, the fun one, um, just learning all about it and all that preparation, that journey, the, the, the time building up to it. And, and that was um, when the UK one was based in uh, Sherbourne, down in Dorset. So back in the day, back in the day long time ago, that gives gives a good indicator of when, <laughs> when I was racing in my pump. Um, I loved my first one just from everything that was new. And then probably my favourite one was my PB, which was... was um, chasing, I tried to chase sub ten, which back in the day was was a bit of a milestone. That's that's not the milestone it used to be these days because the ability level's gone so high. Yeah, yeah. yeah break, breaking sub ten for the first one was uh, or first time was um, certainly my favourite one. After that, I started trying to chase it too much, trying to chase the PB too much, and lost the fun a little bit, which is why I stepped away and started doing some other stuff. Yeah, cool. So yeah. I mentioned just now MDS was on the agenda for you this year. And um, obviously we're in the middle of coronavirus lockdown at the moment as we record this. Um, yeah, so your thoughts on that? You know, that, that's obviously taken a bit of a, a hit into the, uh, into the schedule then. Absolutely. Like like most people listening and, and all those endurance athletes out there, I had set my stall out back end of last year. I had my plan for 2020. The training program was in place. And throughout the winter, I was doing the hard yards and the cold, dark winter miles, and everything was going okay. And then, because of because of work, because of the physio side of it, I'd started to probably get a little inkling a couple of weeks maybe before others that things might not quite be right, sort of Feb time. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the dreaded email came as expected about 
five weeks before, six weeks before, saying that um, it was postponed and rearranged for mid-September. So initially, there was a bit of a, a kick in the proverbials. The wind got taken out of my sails that, you know, a thousand odd miles in training. And I was almost, I was, it was the week I was supposed to begin my taper. So um, I, I lost my mojo a little bit for a couple of weeks, which was partly planned. I decided to have a bit of a deload, a bit of a couple of weeks of just really taking my mind and body out of it to recover, ready to go again, because the plan would be to pick up that training and, and re-push for September. Um, in, in, in hindsight, that dragged on a few more weeks than I wanted to. It was a good month before I could be bothered to get back out. I trained, I ticked over, I did stuff, but the structure and the, and the sort of plan had, had, had just been paused. But now I'm starting to get my, I'm a couple of weeks back into it now. I do not think it'll happen, if I'm honest. Uh, um, the timing of this recording, Boris has just given his Sunday evening statement. And, um, you know, in the best possible scenario for the fact that certain things of everyday life do only be opening in the best scenario July, I can't see us jumping on planes and racing around the world to, to compete by, by mid-September. I'm hopefully wrong. Hopefully it'll all be going ahead. I fear that I'll probably now, like everyone else, continue to train quite hard for my race and then have the carpet pulled out a little bit closer to the time. So it leaves, it leaves that interesting dilemma now of would I rather them email me tomorrow and say it's off, it's now going to be next April, don't worry about it, or do you just hope and, and pray that it goes ahead? So, so we'll see. I'm, I'm pretty... Um, open-minded about it right now I, I'm back in a good place as far as training so I'll I'll be able to put that training structure back in place and push forward yeah. my only real concern is if I get another 10 or 12 weeks into a training program for it to then be postponed again what possible kick-on effect it has September October time when I'm trying to go again for next next April and, and uh, did they offer you the option to postpone to next year or was it just a, a straight postponement to September yeah, so the race was postponed straight away and then you were given the option to defer to April or to push forward and st stay committed to September. Um, I know people have spoken to the organisers. So, so the MDS is a funny one. It's all governed by your national board, the national company that runs it. Here in the UK, it's Run Ultra, but the overarching management still applies um, from the French side of it. Yeah. So although I said to the UK guys that I would defer... Uh, sorry, um, continue until September. I've spoken to them since about deferring, and now to defer after saying I was going to push forward would mean going to the whole French authorities, and, and it may not be as clear-cut as it would. So I know probably 70-30 split of the competitors that I was speaking to have stayed in compared to deferred. The ones who deferred are based purely on they had other commitments in September. A couple of people were getting married. A couple of people had landmark birthdays and anniversaries yeah. or just didn't think they could get the time off work. So um, so we'll see. But it seems like the ones who deferred may be the sensible ones. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? And you, you, I, I feel for event organisers at the moment because they're, they're, they're taking a lot of stick, a, a lot of them out there, because of what they've decided to do, but they'll, ultimately they've got business, businesses to run and they've got employees to, to pay as well. So, But at the same time, you know, when you're an athlete and you're training for something as big as MDS, or to be honest, it's irrelevant what you're training for. If something is your focus, that is your mindset that that's the big thing that you're training for. 
Um, and like you said, MDS comes sort of earlier in the year. So if you've got something else planned later, whether that be something personal or an actual race again, it just knocks everything out the, out the window, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I've got many friends, you know, Mark, who does the podcast with me. He's a race organiser himself. We've chatted at length about it. I think the secret right now, and it, it's a, it's not a secret at any other time in, in a normal world, in a normal life, but it's just about communication. You know, these, these companies have uh, a number of expenses that are lost before the race or whether the race goes ahead or not, and, and they can't recoup those expenses. So I get the argument of if you can afford to let your money slip by, then there may be the fact that the race organisers are there to put another race on after this compared to those asking for refunds or full refunds, and then there's no company to organise a race when it's, when it's open again. Yeah, no, exactly. But all, all, all people want is just honesty and communications. Um, Mark, with the podcast with me, runs the Lakeland 1500, and communicated very open with his, uh, his competitors about it's probably three or four weeks ago now and basically said we're making the decision to postpone it completely until 2021 the reason we've decided to do that is a we don't think it will go ahead and want to delay it any longer we want you to have peace of mind b if it's to go ahead we don't feel safe with either the community that we use for the event or asking you to do an event that you've had a condensed period of training or an inappropriate period of training for that makes it more difficult and even uh, more riskier than it may have been for some of you in the first place as a result they got a pretty decent response from their competitors yeah but again you know without naming names of, of certain races most people are, can picture the ones i'm on about certain big brand um iron distance races around the uk have taken a bit of flack for not being so open in the communications and and the silence with some of these companies has been pretty deafening. Yeah. Um, so just be open, just be honest, have communications, explain to people why, well, where the money goes, where the costs go, and, and, and maybe people have a little bit more understanding. I, I did a podcast recently with, um, with a guy I trained with, and um, we, we had the discussion around the same thing. Um, and rightly or wrongly so, we did mention one particular company that we'd um, – that. And that's where they fell down. I personally feel is around the communication. And like you said, as long as they're honest with people up front, um, you know, other, other, you know, unless you organise an event, unless you've been involved in some sense of it, you don't see the hidden costs. They just see well, they've you know, they've got the cost of the medals, they've got the cost of t-shirts. What else are they paying for? Well, you know, when you've got insurances and some events are paid for closed roads and. You know, some deposits can't be um, recouped. Insurances de- don't cover everything. And I'm pretty sure after this year, like race insurance, there'll be a clause in there for coronavirus or similar in the future as well. Plus premiums will go up after all this. So, it, you know, there is a massive knock-on effect from it. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm just going to say, I'm sure most people wouldn't even understand or, or be gobsmacked actually at the cost of hiring hundreds of portaloos for, for a weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those things you can't book a week before. So these guys and girls are paying, you know, lots of money to secure these bookings. And when the race gets cancelled out of their control, they can't turn around to these companies and say, "Oh, sorry, can we have our money back?" Yeah, these yeah. companies, are, or, or these are only getting a percentage of their money back from the company. So, so the money is lost a lot of the time. But again, if you're not communicating and not saying to your um, competitors, 
this is what's going on. And you don't have to open your books. You don't have to show them your accounts. But if you explain where some of these goes, then maybe those people thinking that you are profiteering and only in it to make money, um, then then they'll have a better understanding of what's involved. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so, yeah, MDS September, fingers crossed that goes ahead for you. Um, I, I, I know someone else who was due to do it this year, so I, I don't know if she managed to... Um, defer to next year or whether she was doing September but um yeah fingers crossed but you've I think you've done the right thing you had a bit of a sort of break from it all mentally and physically and then yeah get back on it while the fitness is still sort of there but one of the, you know you know the reason I've asked you to come on today and it was to, to discuss some of the sort of issues that people coming into the, the sport of triathlon and as you know life of try is aimed at trying to help people um, gather as much information as possible about triathlon, especially those new to the sport. But what I wanted to explore was some of the common injuries or um, issues that people have when they first enter the sport. And I suppose what I'm talking about here is not only Ironman, because I, it, we sometimes fall into the, um, the, 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 the trap of just talking about Ironman, but you know, we have the smaller distances as well. But specifically around people are coming from other sports. Maybe they're a little bit older. They're not. They're not in their teens and their twenties anymore. Um, and some of those issues that you are commonly seeing as as a as a, a practitioner out there. Yeah, absolutely. And some of them, some of them do transcend beyond the beginner. They're things that infiltrate all levels and experiences of a um, triathlete. But fundamentally, I think it's, I always. Um, I always try to caveat any any endurance sport injury conversation with injuries happen to endurance athletes. They're common. You know, it's the nature of the beast in some ways. Can we reduce the injuries we get? Of course we can. Um, but the thing most people should take into me, don't, don't enter the sport expecting injury, but likewise don't fear it and don't, don't fear them because 99% of the time, never anything serious and it'll sort itself out either on its own or with just a little bit of advice and help so um but as far as the type of things that we we tend to see then that age-old adage of just too much too soon is is probably the the biggest thing to address yeah yeah we and and you know i've, I've probably met in the thousands of athletes i've worked with over the last 20 years i've met 99.9 percent who have never tried to get injured or ignored advice intentionally. Everybody is passionate about the sport. It's a fantastic sport. And therefore, they just embrace it. And as you embrace it and you get the love and you get the bug for it, then it's quite easy to do too much too soon. And just, you know, we've come away with too much too soon phrases being replaced slowly with terms like load management, load moder uh, monitoring, and overload type stuff, um, which is fundamentally different to overtraining, which we'll, we'll chat about if needed to later, but just that people who go into it. Now, if you do focus in on, and I'm one of those people, you know, I'm a failed footballer. I'm born and bred in Thlenetley and was one of the few non-rugby players who, who had a love for football. Yeah. And I, I went on a quest in my teens to be a professional footballer. I was desperate to be it and I nearly made it. But most, I, I didn't make it. And most of my relative success was based on actually my fitness and my running rather than my, my absolute technique or ability. So I defaulted into endurance sports pretty quick. And what I tried to do straight away was just do everything at the level I could do in a, on a football field. 
forgetting the fact that it had taken me from the age of five to 25 to hone and develop that ability as, as a footballer. Yeah. Um, so if you've accomplished anything at any level or, or not in, in other sports, it is a new sport. Having the background in other sports and athletic abilities is brilliant, but it takes time to adjust. And one of the problems a lot of people make, or one of the problems I see people making, is it is fantastic from an injury perspective that we have three disciplines in our sport. It's fantastic that you can bounce between the three and you can have different elements weighted to different times when you might need different loads eased or pushed on certain sports. But the cumulative load of the three is still the same. So, yes, we can adapt our training. Yes, we can bias our training to help. And often that makes a slight difference if one of those three elements is a problem. But the cumulative load that you put in on your system is still the same amount. So, so always be careful that you can monitor, you can moderate the degree you, you test yourself in each discipline. But the total number of, of stress hours that you're putting into and on your body will always remain the same. So, so those are probably the biggest thing. It's, it's being too keen, doing too much too soon, and trying to race to where they want to get to. Now, um, in certain individuals, and it's very hard to give specifics on this one, but depending on the sport you might have come from, then potentially there are things that may just need a bit more time to address to prepare you for sport uh, for the for the triathlon world. If we make a, a you know example up, um, you'll see a lot of people who come from a team sport background who um, did everything in what we call the sagittal plane, so so straight line stuff. And although our sports tend to be predominantly sagittal plane straight line stuff. If you think about your bike, certainly if you're in a tuck position on the bike and in your swimming, then there's an element of transverse and rotational work needed as well. So if you have natural, not, it's not a natural restriction, but your body has adapted to a previous sport and that sport didn't require certain elements of, of ranges of movement or conditioning through certain ranges. And now you've entered a new sport that does. So if you have something that needs to be developed, and it could be something like thoracic spine mobility, hip range, could just be strength in certain positions, then it's not a bad thing, it's not a negative thing, because we're just changing from, from one to the next. And it just sometimes needs a little bit of time to address those, or just a tip of the hat to addressing those things, as well as embracing the sport for everything that it is. Yeah. Well, uh, as you know, because I discussed this previously, I um you know I I came from a rugby and a football background, and the biggest thing that I did wrong when I first came into the sport was thinking that I had to run everything the fastest possible um, way. So even training runs, I would run like I was running a marathon, uh, running race pace. Um, and I and that's because I think when I came from rugby or football, everything is that short, sharp burst of um, pace to get to wherever you need. And then to prolong it over a longer period, I didn't have, one, the knowledge, and two, the, the learned skill set to, to do that. Um, and I don't know if it's true, but everyone often talks about rugby players, and particularly footballers as, as well, having short hamstrings. I don't know if that's an actual thing, but I think definitely what I've struggled with over the years is not so much tight hamstrings, but it's probably contributes to it, but more of sort of tight hips, um, tight glutes and things like that 
So I, I again, I was wondering if that is something common that you were seeing um, from a mobility point of view more than anything. Yes, certainly from the team sport guys. And as well, so again, it's it's how you shine a light on it. That is a positive adaptation for the sports that they played before. They have needed that sort of range and that sort of strength through that particular range to be able to perform in those sports. So it's not that they've come in with problems, it's they've come in with things that needed changing to create a different skill set, a different um, ability in this sport. Um, so if you test the length of a lot of these things, then they're not actually short, they're not actually tight. It's just they're not as functional as they can be for the demands that we need them in. Um, can they then cause a problem? Yes, they can for some. But likewise, we're seeing no trends in evidence to say that everybody, and for those listeners who, who can't see us, I'm doing quote-unquote fingers, yeah. who has a short hamstring will have a problem in triathlon because they won't. Because a lot of the time, we, um, you know, again, one of the things I'm always sort of on my soapbox about is people spending the limited time they have available off the bike or the run or the swim doing things like static stretching because they have this this belief which is sometimes outdated and misguided that stretching and flexibility is super important in triathlon when it's really not because yeah. very rarely do we ever go near end range so if you were a sprinter if you were trying to come from football or rugby to be a track athlete in a 100 or a 200 meter sprint or a hurdler yes i would absolutely want to have more range more more ability through those hamstrings than running in any distance triathlon where you might run fast sometimes, but we tend not to be going into those ranges. Yeah, I, and again, I think some of that comes down from um, my personal experience anyway, that you were probably taught quite outdated methods around um, flexibility, strength, mobility, um, you know, that cold stretching, like you said, cold static stretching before a football match or, or you see some runners before a, a race and, they, and they're just you know bending over trying to touch their toes um you know and, and you, you, some of the things that you talk about on your podcast and, and the videos that you do on social media now tries to sort of you know move away from that way of thinking and more around a sort of more dynamic way of warming up um and if you are going to do any sort of um static stretching you, then you do it after your event not 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 beforehand and but i think we're still in that mindset because you know we were taught as kids you know touch your toes before a football match and now go off and kick a ball for, for 90 minutes yeah absolutely but likewise even within the endurance world by default if you think so when the running boom started back in the in the 70s and 80s and the triathlon boom in the 90s then we genuinely in the sports science and physio world we genuinely believed the static stretching was the thing and a lot of it is cyclical a lot of it you know we, we, when I first trained in the 90s, we, I did my started off with a sports science degree. You know, ballistic stretching, as it was called then, was a big no no. Stop doing that. Let's do static stretching. And you see this re evolution that happens every few years where each thing comes back in and out of trends, a bit like clothes. Um, but the 70s and 80s in the running world and the 90s in the triathlon world, we were big on static stretching. And now a lot of those people who believe that are the head coaches in certain clubs. They're the people who people look up to. They're the gurus that we all love and respect and listen to. And these people now, all right, there may be a couple of them that are just outdated and, and ill-informed, but most still think they're just pushing the right stuff and advice. 
but it's also sadly really perpetuated by some of the mainstream media associated with the sport. You've only got to pay, you know, I don't mind dropping a name on this one, Runner's World. If you pick up a copy of Runner's World and you look at some of the, the rubbish in there, it is outdated and they misguide you with things like, here's the best five strength exercises for, for triathletes. And by the time you open it, it's actually a bunch of stretches. Because, to be honest, the stuff that works isn't sexy and sex sells. So, that, so they perpetuate things. And again, going off on tangents again about things like running gait and biomechanics. If you say the evidence base behind what you really need or don't need when it comes to running shoes and biomechanical assessments, then you will never sell a pair of running shoes again. Yeah. Or you'll sell a fraction of what you would sell without the, the, the myths and the, the sort of things that are pushed around uh, out there. So... So there's different areas and different eras of the world that have, have led us to, yes, get some misinformation about some, some basic stuff. But as you said, most of us, are, or some of us out there are trying to push, push the right messages slowly out. I, I think some of it comes from, um, you know, people are looking for the magic formula or the magic thing to do, isn't it? And, and this is why I, I have a big issue with going into... I won't name them, but large sport retail shops and then, then having them get you to stand on a gel pad, which then tells you if you, you pronate or not. And how can, how can that, just by standing, you know, tell you what you need to do from a, or need to have from a running shoe? Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that, that will just say, you run in what's comfortable. And and leave it at that. And but that's the problem. There's so many different camps out there. There's so much information out there as well. And another reason why you know we sort of exist is to try and just give bite-sized information rather than that you know volume of information that's out there. Um. So some of the injuries that you are seeing, though, would you say any of them are preventable? Well, they're probably all are preventable, but like. If 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 someone came to you, um, say me for example, I came to you. I come from a football and rugby background. I was looking to get into maybe, um, I was definitely getting into triathlon, but maybe more the endurance side of things. But I have to change the, what I'd done previously, and all I'd ever done is sort of that drill set of football and rugby. What what would sort of the piece of what what would be some advice that you would look to give to them? Uh, you know, how how would you say right, okay. In order to progress in this sport, maybe you need to look at X, Y, and Z. And I'm not saying um, exercise here, but just areas to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, it's a definite case of N equals one. Anyone who comes in the clinic will be assessed for what they have. But if yeah. you're looking at trends, and, and again, you know, um, I was always fortunate that some of my mentors when I learned and when I was sort of in my early career were, were pretty ahead of their time. And um, I, I learned at a pretty early stage that you do not need to be an expert in any sport. You just need a basic understanding of it to be able to analyze the needs of a sport. So if you start looking at triathlon and you're thinking about it, then the obvious things that jump out. So let's take the first element, swimming. Forget how good or bad a swimmer you are. You're going to be doing, potentially, over a training program, tens of thousands of strokes hundreds of thousands of strokes for some people. So I need to know that you have mobility in your shoulder, mobility in your thoracic spine, mobility in your neck, and you have a level of tolerance and strength conditioning in those areas to tolerate 
you do in those those um, miles. Now, if you come from a sport that may have predisposed you to have deficiencies in any of that, and or when I'm talking to you, you're saying to me, I had this injury when I was 15, I had that injury when I was 20, my desk and my work and my occupation involved X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Then if I'm starting to see things that aren't maybe what I want, then they're definitely areas from the swimmer's point of view that we could work for. Now, where it all gets grey, and it, it's not as black and white as that, is I have worked with people who, on the surface of it, look perfectly primed to start an area of the triathlon world, and then they just are these unlucky few that pick up injury after injury after injury. And likewise, you see what you could class as a ticking time bomb who just are bulletproof and, and never seem to pick an injury up. If you're working down into more the cycling aspect of it, then, of course, we're still talking neck, we're still talking thoracic spine, potentially a little bit of lower back, and then really we're talking hip, lumbar pelvic complex, and, and, and thighs as a real predominantly factor. But again, what am I asking of it? Well, if I'm looking at getting you ready for them, what I need is an element of mobility and function, but realistically, I want a tolerance to it because in those two sports, it's much more about holding the same position for a period of time yeah. and yeah. transmitting forces in those positions. So you could be able to deadlift or squat two times your body weight. But if I'm testing you on a bike or in a bike-related position and you're producing less than one times your body weight on a, on a one-off, one-rep max test, then suddenly I'm going, okay, there may not be an evidence base, there may not be an actual study that says, if you can't do X amount, you're going to get injured. But straight away, and again, you know, um, I, I definitively try to work in the performance and the rehab world. And a lot of people get, um, a lot of the new people, the beginners, the real amateur athletes, when they hear the word performance, they don't think it relates to them. They think you're talking podiums, medals, Olympics. But performance means trying to get whatever athletes in front of you to be able to perform to the best of their abilities. If I can get you to produce more power, that power to um, weight ratio improves and, and the wattage that you can average improves. And suddenly there's less stress on your system as well as your performance increasing, we've reduced the risk of your injury. But I've deliberately saved it for last, not just because it's the last portion of a try, but the big thing that I'm always really focused on is the run element and how you can tolerate that run. By far and away, it's the most physically demanding component. And what we often see in some simple tests in, in the clinic is fundamental areas where people, again, not guaranteed to get injuries, but guaranteed to probably not perform as well as they want to and have a may, maybe potential injury risk. And that's simple things like soleus and gastroc and calf muscle tolerance. For example, when you are, most of us would run and you're probably running at anywhere between two to six times your body weight when every step that you run. And you again will do thousands and thousands of reps per mile and per run. Now, if you come into my clinic and I ask you to balance on one leg with a fingertip against the wall and stand up onto your tiptoes like a real heel raise type movement and then slowly lower it back down, taking five or six seconds to do the whole thing. It's not rare for me to find beginner triathletes who can't do double digits. They're doing five, six, seven reps. Yet they're telling me that they're running 20 to 40 miles a week at two to six times their body weight. I'm just starting to have some alarm bells going off because I need you to be able to tolerate way more force through that complex. 
the soleus muscle in recent years has become, which is a, if, if someone looks on, on an anatomy chart, your big cannonball muscles that you think in the back of your legs, your, your true calf muscles, yeah. they're called gastrocnemius. The soleus lives deep and underneath that, and it's almost the most important muscle when it comes to absorbing force when we run and then propulsing our body forward. So if I can make that, or you, I can help you make that better, you're going to run and perform better, but likewise, potentially, we're reducing the risk significantly in some cases of you picking up problems when you when you're running. Um, it's funny you say about soleus because it's one one of the issues I've had as well over the years, and that's you know probably down to weakness in there or whatever, whether it be on load or what have you. So it's um you I might think, well yeah. you might well but, have a, re, uh, a visit off me in the future. Yeah, and again the the words that I like to use with this when when. I, I, you know, sometimes in in my world, um, people use words which they use them because they're words they're familiar with and, and they understand it. But I never see that as a weakness. What that basically is, is a gap in the capacity of what your tissues can do and what you need them to do. Because it wouldn't have been a weakness for the sport you may or may not have come from before. So when, you, when someone comes in, again, I'm, I'm quite sort of... Uh, visual with my hands when i teach and talk so people can't see me do this but think of a seesaw think of a, of a, a sort of balancing um fulcrum on a one side is how much your body can tolerate and on the other side is what you're asking it to tolerate it's only when you increase the gap between what it can do and what you're asking it to do that people tend to pick up problems yeah. and that capacity will change per person in between people but it'll also change within the same person depending on the stage of the season they're at. And am I right in thinking that um, on some people that where they might have the issue might not be where it manifests in pain or in or tightness or whatever their the, the, the complaint is? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, you know, I, I trained many years ago in, in the sort of um, the school of thought was, where it hurts you poke and push and you treat and you stick things in it and you rub it and, and that's where the pain is and that's the problem and of course sometimes that is the case but we also know that um where the pain is the problem isn't always in the same place you can get simple things like referred pain so you could have something that's giving you a referred pain to a different area but likewise it's often areas well the body is a very clever machine it's a very clever complex and there's very few times your body will ever say to you, do you know what, Andrew? No, you can't do that. What it's going to do is find a way. It's a very adaptable machine that will allow you to find a way to do something. But there's probably a price, you know, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul sometimes. And therefore, later on, yes, you may come in with a knee pain. But the problem is often somewhere else. It may even be on the other side. From the therapist point of view and the, and the sort of um, clinical point of view, one mistake I see being made with all athletes but particularly beginner triathletes is people are not explaining that enough to someone because you're coming looking for help because you've got knee pain and when i'm pissing about with the other ankle or the other knee or the other hip or whatever i'm doing if i'm not communicating with you and saying look this is why i'm putting this jigsaw piece together and, and why i'm seeing that you may be getting your problems and again really important to if you've come from other sports and you've got injury histories you know um I see less of it slightly now, but certainly 10 years ago, there was that 
40-year-old. I, I see a younger entry level to triathlon in the last decade or so. In, in 10, 15 years ago, you were at the end of your career in another sport. You were late, mid to late 30s or older. And some of these guys, you know, some, some, some of the rugby players and footballers I worked with um, who were 38 to 45 entering the sport, I'm surprised they could climb on a bike. They were so sort of out of shape and stiff and, and um, difficult to, to, to translate across. But now people, and these guys would say to me, I've had this, this, this and this injury. Yeah, and of course, yeah. there might have been 10 years of compensatory movement in their body because of that injury. And it's really important for them to tell therapists like myself, this is my background. It's also important for the therapist to pick and, and glean that information out of them because it's only putting the jigsaw pieces together of their past life that you start to put those things in place. Now, these days, life seems a bit easier. You've got a 20-year-old coming in who's, who's new to triathlon, but either hasn't had that much history in another sport or um, has abandoned another sport a little bit earlier sometimes. Yeah, and, and I think it's, um, I'm, I'm definitely seeing that as well, that you know, when, when I first came into the sport and we're going back six, seven years ago, there, I, there was definitely more you know, people, like you said, mid to late 30s upwards joining. But it's, whether that's because, you know, there's been a, quite a bit of money pumped into promotion of the sport or, you know, and we're both South Wales. We know what Ironman has done to for the sport within the local area. Um, you know, the amount of triathlon or duathlon or multi-sport races you can do now in within South Wales or, or the area is, is unbelievable. So it's um, it's, it's, it's understandable. I, it's funny that you say about sort of like, you know, compensating or muscle memory and you've done it for years and years. And it's definitely, I think, something that, that I, I definitely did for a number of years before I fully tried to understand. I always had an issue with my right leg. And I always just used to say, oh, yeah, there's a weakness there. And you just sort of accepted that rather than thinking, right, okay, why is there a weakness there? Is that something that, it, you know, can be fixed? Or is that something that, as I was doing, it was just accepting it? And But maybe, you know, like you said, it, it's, it's exploring it. It's talking to someone who's removed from you a situation, so removed from you a brain. I can just ask those questions and explore a little bit further, you know, you know, why why do you do these things and why do you need to continue to do them so Mike I'm going to leave it there you know we, we spoke for about half an hour or so yeah, and around some really good topics and it's probably come you know it came around actually after talking about um, communication from an, an MDS and an, an, an event planner's point of view to communicating to your therapist if you have any sort of issues um, it'd be great to have you on in the future and you know let's keep linked up and things it's um but thanks very much for for coming on and um we'll yeah we'll catch up again soon thanks yeah for thanks for, thanks for having me on stay safe everyone thanks for listening to the life for try podcast we really hope you enjoyed and if you have any thoughts or feedback in how we can improve or any topics you want us to talk about in the future please let us know we exist to try and make triathlon simple so your feedback is really important to us Check out our social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Um, subscribe to those channels. Follow us, like us, tag us into posts. Just interact with us, and we look forward to speaking to you in the future. Thanks for listening.